Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign from scratch for you to run for your group. This season, we're building our campaign for the Fallout role-playing game, so grab your notepad and pen and let's get to building. Before we do that, I want to correct something from a previous episode. Two weeks ago, the building Jeb was living out of, I ID'd that as the Missouri Athletic Club. In truth, that is actually the South Broadway Athletic Club. I'm really only making that note here because I know that there are some St. Louis natives that will probably bust my chops for getting it wrong, and I just want to make sure we get it right. I'm a perfectionist at heart. Last week was about getting one of the groups we set up during the initial parts of the build out there for the group. So they took a rescue mission on and got involved with a couple of Marvin's Carvins. We pick up the build with the group having collected their reward, headed out of Liza's place and coming across a job board. Your group might not be the type that likes doing this sort of thing. So if they don't, we just modify these jobs for your group to pick up one at a time. It's not really going to be a big issue and you'll understand why as we move forward. Also, it is time to reset the action points. So the group goes back to zero and you go back to APs, one for each member of the group. In my case, that would be seven because I have seven players. What we'll do here is list the jobs first and then we'll build them out one at a time. This means, as you might have figured out, the group's going to be doing a few jobs to make some caps and maybe pick up some more gear that they can sell for the next little while. Again, the idea behind this is to put some more experience on the group as well as slowly roll out a few more of our locations and groups. The jobs are as follows. Need package delivered to Dogtown. See Victor in Diamond Pass. My wife is missing and I'd like to find her. Bonus caps if you find her alive. We will pay 50 caps to a group just to discuss our offer. While I think that last one will be the first one my group goes for, we're going to lay these out in order because I have been very wrong in my estimations on these things. In the past, anyway. When we were laying out the major landmarks earlier this season, I mentioned that Bush Stadium, which is in reality the home of the St. Louis Cardinals, would be our Diamond City analog for this game. What I didn't do at the time was name it, so it's Diamond Pass. From where they are on the riverfront, it's going to be about an hour's walk to the north to get to Diamond Pass. And the group knows it's going to be a tough walk since they've already run into some Marvin's Carvins in the area, as well as a group of raiders. See the last two missions if you're new to the show. That means they're either going to be on their guard or they're going to use a slightly different route to get to the stadium. It would actually make more sense to take a slightly different route since Diamond Pass is on the west side of the old Interstate 55 from the riverfront. Going straight north would still put them in a spot where they'd need to cross, and since they've already run into issues, being down in the no-man's land would be a bad idea. And yes, they can think of this on their own, no rolls needed. However, if they want to head north, then cross, let them do that. About halfway to the north, they'll run into a batch of raiders out looking for folks to rob. There'll be one raider less than the number in the group, and the stats for the raiders are on page 386. Use them as is because there's not anything overly special about them. They're just a group out to steal from what they see as easy targets. As they get closer to heading up the hill towards the arch, they should realize they've got one good chance to cross the highway to get to the stadium without having to deal with the walls up around the arch as Diamond Pass is close to the old Interstate 64 overpasses in the area. However, since those both collapsed during the bombing, there will be wreckage to climb over to get there. We'll hold off on this for a moment to bring our group in the other way, should they choose to head that way instead. From their original location, they can head due west towards the highway. Now, 
I said something a moment ago about having to climb down the wall, cross the highway, and climb back up. However, you can have one of the players, or more if you choose, make an intelligence roll with a difficulty of one. If they make it, they remember that there's an old on-ramp for the highway that slopes down onto the highway itself, thereby eliminating the need for climbing walls. From there, it's just a matter of heading north towards Diamond Pass, and they'll have their own encounter with raiders on the road headed there. Now, there's a bunch of explanation needed here, and that's because when you get around downtown St. Louis, there are a bunch of overpasses because of how the downtown area is laid out. This particular path has a lot of them, so the group will make their way gradually down through them, no rolls needed. Once they get on terra firma, they're almost immediately run into the raiders because they track them coming in their way and they've set up an ambush for them. Have the players make luck checks with a difficulty of three to figure out they might be ambushed. It only takes one to make it for this to work. If not, the raiders each get a free round before initiative. And like the other encounters we've laid out, there's one fewer raider than the number of players. Regardless of how they got to this point, at this point, we've brought both of our paths back together. Whether they approach from the east or the south, they quickly run into the perimeter set up by Diamond Pass Security. They notice the laser turret set up as well as the Mr. Gutsy's on patrol. Once they get to the entrance to the pass itself, a half a dozen armed guards are there along with several more laser turrets. As they approach, one of the guards holds out his hand, signaling them to stop. He approaches and asks them to identify themselves. He gives his name as Sterling Monroe, and he's the commander of the day watch for Diamond Pass. The conversation is about why they're here. He's got a pretty good gut for these things, so as long as they don't lie about their intentions, he'll allow them to pass. However, if any of them lie about the mission, he'll hold them outside while a couple of Mr. Gutsies show up, and once that happens, he'll ask again why they're there. That being said, the group doesn't have a reason to lie, and since none of them are wanted for crimes inside the past that we know of, they're going to be free to enter. And since Victor's name is bound to come up, Monroe will tell them that Victor runs the third base saloon and tells them to follow the signs towards the third base section of the pass. With that, he signals to someone inside the stadium to open the gate, and the group is allowed inside. Diamond Pass is full of wooden ramshackle shacks arranged into five basic neighborhoods. First base, second base, third base, home plate, and the outfield. The group can figure out pretty quickly that the outfield is where most of the housing is. First base is the government district. Second base is for medical, though it has some housing as well. Third base is the Diamond Pass equivalent of a red light district. And home plate, which is the first neighborhood you pass through when you enter. And it's the commerce district. There's also a small food stand in the center of the district. And it seems to be doing a thriving amount of business. The group will see a variety of folks here, including several men that are obviously part of the Brotherhood. Those men, however, seem to be ignoring almost everyone and won't speak to anyone in the group unless they just happen to be members themselves. Even then, all they'll do is identify themselves as Paladins Reese, Zubov, and Ramos. They won't state their business, but will suggest the members carry on. Now, I know my group, so I know they're going to want to check out the shops while they're here. In this case, refer to the various equipment lists in the book. Anything rarity 2 or lower is available, but shopkeepers will start at 50% more than book value. That allows the team to haggle their way down. However, let's remember that the group still doesn't have a lot of caps to spend, so it's more probable they'll pick up more ammo, stim packs, and purified water. For the record, from the various shops, they can get up to 50 rounds of ammo in any caliber they need, 10 stim packs, and 10 containers of purified water. Again, use the haggle rules that we discussed in last week's episode.
Eventually, they're going to make their way to the third base saloon. It's a decent-sized joint, especially for this environment, since there's not a heck of a lot of real estate to play with. They made up for the lack of ground space by building up, and the saloon is three stories high. It's also fairly well-packed right now, with a variety of different folks drinking, dancing to very off-key singing coming from the stage, and playing cards. Shortly after they enter the saloon, a Mr. Handy robot approaches. He identifies himself as Bruno and asks why they're there. If they mention anything about the posting, he'll escort them to Mr. Victor's office towards the rear of the saloon. Bruno insists on the group waiting outside the office door so that he can properly announce them. He enters, closes the door behind him, then opens it back up moments later, telling the group that Mr. Victor will see you now. The office looks like the stereotypical bar office we've seen in a thousand movies and TV shows. Piles of papers everywhere, worn chairs sitting in front of a large mahogany desk close to one wall, and the desk itself looks like someone emptied a file cabinet on it, and there is stuff everywhere. The group's eyes will also pick out the immense wall safe behind the desk, but the gaze will immediately turn back to the giant of a man sitting behind the desk and in front of the safe. Victor's dressed in a 1950s style of what we'd call business casual. He's got a loud pastel button-down shirt with top three buttons undone, very nice khaki pants, seem to be freshly washed and pressed, and a pair of black combat boots. His salt and pepper hair is pulled back into a ponytail, and he's got multiple gold hoop earrings in each ear. Not 1950s, but we're going to play with it. His mustache and beard are also salt and pepper, and his face has the look of a man who's very accustomed to getting what he wants. He's sitting, so it's hard to get an exact read on his size, but the group would guess he's at least six foot seven and probably 300 pounds. And if you do metric, you can do the conversions. He leans back in his chair, which groans in response as the group approaches. When he speaks, his accent is Russian, though not an overly heavy one. I would offer you a seat, but as you can see, I do not have enough for all of you. Okay, I'm going to drop the accent from here. He's not much into small talk, as he notes, I have a lot of business to tend to, so if we could get to it, I would be very appreciative. One thing to keep in mind when you roleplay Victor is that he uses proper English as much as possible. That means no contractions, and he'll use big words appropriately often. When the group mentions why they're there, he gets right to it. I have an associate in the old Dogtown neighborhood that is in desperate need of something. I happen to have that something, so I want to give it to her. However, I cannot spare any of my employees for the task, as they are all busy handling important business for me elsewhere. This is why I am looking for a group of entrepreneurs like yourselves who understand the value of a good deal when they see it. The delivery in question is a 15-inch by 15-inch square box with four locks on it. All are combination locks, and while they're not large, there's enough of them to make it seem very valuable. He won't tell the group what they're transporting, as he says, that is not relevant to the job at hand. Just know that you are not transporting anything that can harm you. He's offering 200 caps for a successful delivery, and he will know if it's a success because my associate will send you back with a letter confirming her receipt of the package. They can attempt to haggle, but the difficulty for this is going to be a four because Victor really doesn't want to make a deal. However, if they succeed, they can get another 20 caps out of him unless they have the ability to get more on a haggle. In that case, add that percentage to 10% and go from there. Failure won't impact them on this since he'll give them the 200 regardless. Complications won't play in at this point either, but they will come into play down the line. 
He will, as a gesture of good faith, pay the group one-third of the caps up front, but no more. He will not haggle on that, calling it my insurance that you will complete the delivery. It's implied, mostly through the way he speaks, that he doesn't want to have to take actions against the group, so he feels like he's doing what he's doing to avoid that. Once the dealing's done, Victor will hand the box over, as well as give them the name and location of his associate, Amber Dawn Garson Tactical Dogtown. He also provides the group with a warning. There are a variety of raider groups that would like to get their hands on this package. You would do well to either avoid them completely or ensure you get the jump on them. This package must be delivered to Amber within a day and a half. Otherwise, exceptionally bad things will happen to her, and I cannot allow that to happen. If pressed, he has no idea what the bad things are, but his manner indicates he's concerned about Amber's well-being, and that's enough for him to act on. With that, it's time for the group to head out. Now, this is where I admit that for the first couple of encounters, and even for the trip downtown today, I wasn't being accurate with my times and distances. That's because I was more concerned with getting the players into the story and into the rules of the system. Starting now, we're going to crank up the heat, metaphorically, of course, on the group, and we'll be keeping track of time as well as food and water. There are two charts that cover food and drink on page 191 of the book. Basically, they need to eat at least every eight hours and drink every four hours to avoid penalties. Now, it's also noted that combat and or strenuous activity will immediately drop you down a category on the charts, so be mindful of that as well. All you have to do is keep a rough estimate of where the group is and give them hints when they start moving down categories. It's up to them to actually stop and eat or drink, and if they don't, then put the penalties into place. I also did the math on the distance between Diamond Pass and Dogtown. Now, for those looking to check my math, Dogtown does not technically exist. It's a name's local use for a portion of the Clayton Tam neighborhood located on the south side of Interstate 64 and directly across the interstate from Forest Park. So if you're checking my math, use that as your location. Anyway, it's roughly six miles to get there, and at 20 minutes to walk a mile, that makes the total time to get there about two hours. However, that's in the real world. In the fallout world, the group will need to navigate fallen buildings, bridges that have collapsed, and other hazards along the way. Keeping that in mind, we're adding an hour to the time, bringing us to three hours. We're also not going to play out every situation in which the group works around things. By this point, the group should be good enough that they should be able to make their way around the obstacles. And there's going to be a couple of combats along the way, so there will be a little more time taken. We'll total it all out in a couple minutes. We also need to take the time of day into account. The group has already handled a couple of tasks today, so most likely it'll be... Ooh, mid-afternoon by the time they make it to Victor. That means they have at most three, maybe four hours until the sun drops, which means they need to get the package delivered as quickly as possible and find themselves shelter for when the sun drops. Unless, of course, they prefer to be out after dark. I'm not going to get into too many specifics of scenery here. Use your imagine about what the kinds of rubble and damage you'd see would be in a downtown major metropolitan city which, believe it or not, St. Louis is a major metropolitan city. So just imagine what that would look like. Just know that at the two-mile and five-mile marks, there will be raider groups that intercept the PCs and want to rob them. They can try to negotiate, of course, and will again use the raider stats on page 386 for these dudes. It'll be opposed charisma plus barter checks, and since raiders don't have barter, it's charisma only for them. 
If you want to use action points for this, feel free to do so. However, if you don't mind your group breezing through these without fighting or something, then that's perfectly okay as well. You know what your group likes to do, so give them the challenge they're looking for. Garson Tactical is located at the corner of Tam and Victoria in Dogtown. It's a rather large building and is exceptional for the fact that it appears to be completely intact. In fact, it's got actual glass in storefront windows, and the brick appears to have either been cleaned up or is fairly new. The door is located right on the corner, and the group can open it and enter. As they enter, they realize quickly they're in a big gun shop. There's a variety of rarity four and five weapons on the display racks on the wall behind a woman, and the same with the handguns in the cases on the floor. Those, by the way, come up to just above this woman's waist, like the counter at a pawn shop or fast food joint. Maybe that's a bit at the waist or slightly lower, so go with the visual that works for you. They also notice this counter runs in an L shape from the western window around to the northern wall. And since they came in from the northwest corner, they're cut off from the rest of the building. There's a big, muscular dude behind the northern part of the counter, and he's eyeballing the group. On the southern side of the counter, there's a petite blonde who must be standing on something to see over the counter. She's made up in ways the group has probably never seen. Her hair appears to be professionally done, and it's more of a page boy cut. She's also wearing makeup, but it is minimal. However, even minimal makeup is noticeable when most women don't wear it. She's dressed in a black t-shirt, black cargo pants, and while they can't see her feet, it's a pretty sure bet she's got combat boots on. When the group approaches her, she says in faintly accented Russian, Welcome to Garson Tactical. What can we do for you today? If the group asks if she's Amber, she appears to be flustered for a brief moment, but quickly composes herself and states, I do not know an Amber. My name is Alexandra. How may I help you today? As she says that, have the person speaking with her make an intelligence check. It's a difficulty too, but if they make it, they can tell she really doesn't want the guy at the other side of the counter to listen in on what's being said, so the player can do with that what they will. Should someone in the group think to go distract the guy, he'll give his name as Byron, and he'll start talking about how Garson Tactical provides the best protection caps can buy, and we'll start into the spiel about training and recruitment and blah, 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 blah. Whomever is handling this guy can have a lot of fun with it if they're willing to play along. After that goes on for a moment or two, the woman leans in close to whomever she's speaking with and nearly whispers. I am Amber, is codename I use with my brother. Nod if yes. Did my brother send you with something? Once the character nods, she'll say, I go on a dinner break in a half hour. Meet me two blocks south of here. Is abandoned house with blue door. I will meet you there. She then leans back and speaks in a more normal, if not a bit on the loud side, voice. No, sir, I am sorry. I cannot budge on the price. She is certainly the piece that will fit your needs, but at that price I would be taking food out of Byron's mouth, and we cannot do that. Byron overhears it and he chuckles. The group can disengage themselves at this point, though whomever was speaking with Byron will probably need to at least agree to think about whatever was being discussed in order to get away. The group has a location and a time, but they're also smart enough to know not to just head over there. They'll probably take a winding route through Dogtown before they come upon the house. And if I know your group as well as I know my own, they'll probably want to scope out the area well before the meet, so let's break this down. The house sits in the middle of 10 lots of homes on the block. Four others are still standing in some way, shape, or form, while the others are nothing more than picked over debris. 
There's an alley running behind the house, but the three buildings behind it are large piles of rubble. There's also a standing house to the north of this one, but the lot on the other side is rubble. They can also quickly realize that if you go in through the back door, you cannot be seen from the street, which means Amber will more than likely come up the alley and in the back door. For tactical purposes, the group realizes that either end of the alley and the house next door are good places for folks to hide if they want to spy on the meeting or keep tabs on Amber. If they want to, they can hit those spots themselves to watch over things. If they don't care if they're seen by anybody else, no role is needed. If they want to hide until or unless they need to be seen, agility plus sneak difficulty of two. Exactly 35 minutes after she spoke to the group, Amber arrives at the rear door to the house. She's jittery like she's expecting things to go down at any point. The group members on Overwatch don't see anything and that's because there's nothing to see. She will explain herself thusly. I didn't want to work for Garson, but Victor needed me to dig up information on somebody. I finished the job, but now I need a way out. I think they're on to me, so I reached out to Victor through a friend. What's in box will help get me out. She won't tell them what it is, but she provides them with a note hastily scribbled in Russian. She'll smile and assure the group it tells Victor you delivered package. She then gives them a serious stare and states matter-of-factly, Unless you want to be accused of very bad things, you should go. Head back to Victor and give him note. That way, he pays you. She will not accept any help from the group, and if they keep badgering her, she'll eventually just walk away. By this point, the group needs to make a hard choice. Do they go above and beyond the job and risk getting onto someone's list, or do they trust the lady and head back for Diamond Pass? So, between you and me, if they decide to follow Amber back into the building, she will eventually turn on them and point a laser pistol. She'll explain, plainly, if I am seen with you again, they will get suspicious. If they get suspicious, I cannot get away. You need to go, and you need to go now. Victor has given me what I need to help myself. I do not need you. That should really be enough to deter the group. If they still insist on following Amber, once they get inside, Byron has been joined by three other heavy hitters, and they give the group really suspicious looks. To talk their way out of it, it's opposed charisma plus speech rolls, and the soldier types use the mercenary stats on page 392. And do not water them down. They're four levels higher than the group, and they're here as a part of something the group's not supposed to get into until later on. Should the group succeed, Amber will be rather annoyed with them, but she'll leave with them to go back to Victor. She'll note, however, that Victor will not be pleased with you. You were supposed to deliver package and leave. Now you know things you should not. She'll open the box, pull out a 14 by 14 inch explosive device, attach it to the counter, set the timer, and quickly run out the front door. She makes it to the corner diagonal to the one they're on before the building explodes. She'll look whomever the group leader appears to be in the eyes and says again, I told you I could handle this. Now, now Victor will be very angry with you. She won't say another word until they're back in the saloon, and we'll get to that in a minute. Should the group heed Amber's advice, they'll get back to Victor's saloon without issue and just before sundown. It'll be the same procedure as before with the guards screening them, them getting into the stadium and Bruno doing his bit before they see Victor again. When they hand him the note, he smiles. You did excellent work, gentlemen. You've earned your caps. He then slides a tin across the table to them that contains the rest of their payment for the job. If the original negotiations had a complication, he will finish by stating... While I appreciate your efforts, I feel that it is better that we not do additional business together, and I would thank you for your discretion about this particular job. 
At that point, Bruno will escort them out. They can either pay to eat and drink here or head out and find a place to stay, either the place they've got set up if they did that, or a place for the night if they didn't. If the group followed Amber after the exchange and witnessed the bomb exploding, it doesn't matter what happened during the original deal. Victor is extremely angry and requests that Bruno ensure the group leaves the saloon and never returns. His answer is thus. You did not follow my directions. You made a decision on your own, and I cannot work with people who take it upon themselves to take action. They can argue, but he's not having it. They're out, and Victor will be a contact they can no longer use. If there were no complications and the group didn't follow Amber, Victor will state, as an added bonus, I would like to buy you dinner and drinks. If you will allow Bruno to take you to a table, you eat and drink on me tonight. In exchange, all I ask for is exceptional discretion about what happened today. When the group agrees, Bruno takes them to a table. Then another droid takes their order. They can order anything off the food or beverage consumables list, and they can eat until they bust if they want to. When they're done, they really need to think about a place to stay tonight. They can get a dirty mattress in a hostel in the home plate district for a couple of caps each, but since it's about a 20-minute or so walk, and there's just enough daylight to make it work, unless they stayed in eight, they should be able to make it back to their place or find another. We'll be nice and assume that no matter which choice they made, they got what they needed. I want to make one more detail before we wrap up. After the first job, whether it's this one or one of the others we do next, the group levels up to level three. As we've discussed here, they each get another health point, special score increase, and another perk. And that's where we're going to end today's build. Next week, we grab one of the other two jobs on our list, and if time allows, we'll get to the third one as well. In the meanwhile, I'd ask you to check out our other podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we cover two very interesting superhero role-playing games, Capes, Cows, and Villains Foul, and Brave New World. Those are interesting games. You're not going to want to miss it. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced during this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out any of the fine products Modifius produces, check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash Bad GM Prod. On Twitter at Bad GMP. YouTube and Tumblr, Bad GM Productions. Email is badgmproductions at gmail.com. And our website is badgmproductions.net. Next week, we choose another job for our group. And hopefully it's not quite as explosive as this one was. <laughs> but that's next week, friends. Until then, I'm the bad GM, Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.